Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to get into the Word today, and the Word's going to get into us. Isn't the Word of God amazing? I want to talk to us today about culture. Everybody say culture. culture. I want to talk about the culture of the king. Because we are called to change culture. Amen? Amen? And I want to start with Genesis chapter 1 because it's the Genesis mandate. It's what God said to mankind when he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. He says, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Everyone say earth. And subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves along the ground. The first thing that God said to man is, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to rule and subdue it. So God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to take this beautiful garden to the four corners of the earth. I'm not going to stop, but there's so much imagery in the book of Genesis. But there was four rivers, speaking of the four corners of the earth, to export the Garden of Eden to the four corners of the earth. God's purpose is this, to fill the earth with a people that look just like him. His glory is his nature. So a glory isn't just some event, something we just get caught up in. Oh, well, the glory of God was there today. The glory of God is his nature. Do you remember Moses said, show me your glory, God. And when, he sh- when, when God revealed his glory to Moses, he saw his nature. Moses saw his loving kindness, his gentleness, his mercy. So when we see his glory, when we reflect his glory, we are reflecting what God is like. And so we take the culture of King Jesus everywhere we go. Matthew 28, this next scripture. Matthew 28, this is the Great Commission. The Great Commission. If you, if you really stay with me today and you're loud and you're responsive, I'll know you're getting it and I'll go a lot quicker. And then we can go and have barbecue. Okay, come on. Everybody say, come on. Come on. Say, let's go. Let's go. Say, hurry up. Let's say, preach it. Preach. All right, here we go. Matthew... 28 and verse, Matthew 28, verse 19, verse 16, we'll read from there. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mountains in the Bible speak of majesty. So Jesus takes the disciples, he stands them on a mountain where where their perspective is different, and he says, what I want you to do is to do the very thing I told Adam to do in the beginning, and that's to rule, subdue, and have dominion. Guys, what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples of every nation. You know, I want to encourage you. I want to stir us this morning. Everyone say stir. I'm going to stir you up. I want to provoke you. The writer of Hebrews says, consider how you may spur one another on. You know, spurs were on, the, were on the back of a cowboy boot. So when he was riding his horse, he could kick the horse and jolt the horse into action. So when we, when the Bible says spur one another on, it's sometimes it's like, oh, okay, wow, you're right, I'm doing okay. It takes a little jolt. Come on, let's go. I want to stir you. I want to provoke us. To see something bigger, to like that mountaintop experience where we're provoked again to see the king and his kingdom. 
You know, in the Western world, we can live um, with a very consumer mentality. How, what does this do for me? Are my needs met, getting met? But the truth is, we are dead. We say, God, I've given you my life. How can I best serve you? How can I take this good news and export it? How can I take this encounter of your glory, of your nature, of your likeness, and reflect it to a world that don't yet know you? Amen? So I want to talk about culture today. I want to talk about creating a kingdom culture, a culture of the king. Hands up if you've ever heard the word apostolic. Great. Keep your hands up if you've ever heard the word prophetic. Keep your hand up if you've ever heard the word evangelistic. Keep your hand up if you've heard the word pastoral. Keep your hand up if you've ever heard the word teaching. Okay, some of you. Well, in Ephesians (laughs) chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, that God has given apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And then he says this, to equip God's people for works of service until we all come to the full stature and measure of Christ. Now, so often when we read things like that, in our Western mindset, we think of a hierarchy. We think, well, this is the, per- this is the- you have apostles, they're first, and then prophets, and all the way down, like it's a-, a pecking order. It's not actually like that at all. The truth is, the greatest gift is the one that's needed at that time. If you need mercy, you don't just need an evangelist. You need somebody who has the gift of mercy. You definitely don't evangelist. You, you, you see, but sometimes we need pastoral care. Sometimes we need an evangelist. You need Steve Coco to get up here and spur us all on. Hey, come on. Don't forget there's a world that don't yet know Jesus. And that's actually why we're here. Okay? The word apostle actually means sent one. Everyone say that with me. Sent one. Sent one. Sent one to do what? It's to change a culture. You may have not heard this before, but Jesus, when he sent out the apostles, was using a military term. So he used this word apostle, and he said, "An apostle. I'm sending you guys, you disciples, out as apostles. And what an apostle was, was someone who was sent on behalf of the king. Or on behalf of the emperor. So if Rome, for instance, had taken over a city and conquered a city, we'll say, for example, Philippi, the emperor, king of Rome, the emperor, would then send out a fleet of ships to that city. And he would send on this fleet of ships, would consist of architects and builders and planners and doctors and all the things needed to change a culture. And on that front ship would be the apostle, the apostolic. It would be the one who was sent, the sent one, with a mandate to change that culture of that city. Kind of changes the way we think, right? It's not just a hierarchy. It's someone who is sent to change a culture. Why? So that when the emperor went to Philippi, he felt at home because the culture of Rome had now been transferred into Philippi so that Philippi was carrying the culture of Rome. So that Philippi was carrying the culture of the king. Watch this. We are an apostolic people. We are a prophetic people. We are a pastoral people. You say, well, I, I don't think I'm a prophet. I didn't say that. You may not be a prophet, but you are prophetic. You may not be an apostle, but you're apostolic. Why? Because we are 
carriers of the kingdom culture. And we are sent to change culture. That's why we're here. We are culture changers. That's why we're here. We are here so that when people in our area of society or wherever you do for a job, whether it be your neighbors, whether it be your places of work, whether it be your school, in every sphere and area of life, you are, a, you are carrying the culture of the king. And there, are kingdom, there is a kingdom culture that the Bible speaks of. Amen? You know, for some of you, may think, oh, this, I've heard all this before. Others of you may think, I think I heard this in the 70s or I heard this in the 60s. <laughs> I heard about these, the, the rise of, of apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, whereas before it may have just been vicars or reverends. But, but church, I just want you to know, this is so exciting. So don't just think about a person. Think about us. Think about an apostolic people. Think about a prophetic people. We are called to what? Change culture. All right? So today, I'm going to use this uh, acronym. Some of you may have heard bits of this before, and I'm going to go fairly quickly because it's barbecue day. And I'm just going to use the acronym of culture to help provoke us onto what this culture looks like. It's the culture of King Jesus. Amen? All right, so the first is this, and there's like a, it's this, but it's not this. And the first, C, everyone say C, is for choice but not control. Will you say that with me? Choice, not control control. Okay, here we go. First of all, it's important that we know that our heavenly Father, God the Father, is a God and a Father that gives us choice. And we can see this right from the beginning. And please take notes, like the Bereans, take notes and go and search the scriptures and see if Dan's right. You can do that. And then you can come back and challenge me and say, I'm not sure if you are right. And then you can talk it through with feet. So, but here it is. Here's for choice. In the garden, God took man. He breathed into his nostrils. He gave them this great commission. And then he said, by the way, you can, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. In fact, don't even touch it. Because if you do, you will surely die. And we know, in the words of Indiana Jones, man chose poorly. But he chose poorly. God could have put a wall around it so that he couldn't touch it. But he didn't. He gave him a choice. He gave him a choice. And I find right throughout Scripture, we see this God who is a good, loving Father that gives us choice. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says, Today I bring heaven and earth as witnesses. Choose life or choose death. Choose life. <laughs> it's really, but choose life. It's like multiple choice. You can choose this. God's saying, by the way, it's this one. Choose life. Don't choose this one. And he said that to Adam. And Adam chose poorly. He chose poorly. And the, the consequence is that he didn't die a physical death, but he, he died a spiritual death. Adam lost his breath. He lost the breath of life that God had breathed into him. That's why if you read in John 20, after the cross, after the resurrection, it says, Jesus breathed on them. Mankind got their life back. Why? Because of the cross. That's why it's so good news. We get, we get to live and move and, and have our being. We get to breathe God again. We have the life of God in us again. Isn't that amazing? But it's for a purpose. 
It's to reflect what he is like. It's to change culture. Amen? So it's, not, it's for choice, not control. We see it again with the uh, prodigal son. You see the father giving a son choice. Basically, is the, the, the son was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. Why did the father give him his inheritance? Why? He gave it to him because he's, committed, he's a God that's committed not to controlling us, but to giving us choice. Otherwise, our worship to him would, not just, would, would just be automatic because we have to. We have no choice. God wants us to, to, that to be our option. So there's choice. We see it again. Um, Hannah mentioned it earlier. Where's Hannah? Hannah mentioned it earlier. With the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus says, Good master, I've done all of these things. What must I do to be saved? I've kept the law. And Jesus looked at him and he says, Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says he went away disappointed because he had much well, there's a little line in there which I love. It says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Church, if you're raising children, if you're raising a husband or a wife, if you are <laughs> making decisions, can I encourage you to, be, to carry the culture of the king is to carry choice. To be a leader, to represent your father that gives, watch this, age-appropriate choice. Please use wisdom. Ah, oh, the kids just wanted to run in the road. You told them to, we had to give them choice. No, 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 no. No, it's age-appropriate choice. But use wisdom, obviously. But can you see that there's a little line, Jesus looked at him and loved him. In other words, what the heart of God was saying to this rich young ruler, which some theologians say was Barnabas, that later on sold land and came and gave it and put it at the apostles' feet. But my point is, Jesus loved him, whether he chose to do what he asked him to do or not. And I want to say, I want to suggest to you, that's the heart of a good leader. That's the heart of a good leader. That I'm going to love you, actually love you, not kick you on the way out. Now, I'm going to withdraw my love if you don't do what I say. It's choice, not control. And there's a subtle difference in there. If we're not careful, we become controlling. And I kind of want to also suggest that all control comes from fear. And fear comes from hurt. When the heart gets hurt, it defaults in fear, and fear defaults in control. But when God heals the heart, it defaults in love, and perfect love casts out fear. Love is powerful. Love is an amazing weapon. That's why with Jesus, he looked at him and loved him. How do you look at someone and love them? It's God, it's God as a father saying, hey, listen, I think you should do this. This is the right thing to do. But, you know, I want you to know before you make a decision, I'll love you either way. That's powerful, isn't it? I love you either way. God is a God who gives us choice. I've told this story, I'm sure, before when I took my children out to uh, buy shoes one day and I took them to um, Dick's Sporting Goods and I said, you can have any shoe that you like. I was in a generous mood because we serve a generous God. And if you remember the story, one of them chose a pair of um, Adidas, or Adidas if you're in America, and the other one chose uh, Nikes, or Nike if you're in America. <laughs> I'm just having to learn to be bilingual again. And, and the other one was, was trying to choose, so the other one was like, I'm ready to go, and I was on my phone and kept checking back with them, checking back with them, checking back with them, and I said, hey boys, come on, we've got to go. I said you can buy any shoe you like, but we've got to go. And as I looked around, I could see out of the corner of my eye, one of my twins was sitting on a chair, and I saw a little tear come down his cheek. 
At that moment, I turned my phone off and I scooted next to him. I looked, grabbed his face. I said, son, what's going on? He said, I just don't know which one to choose. So I wiped a tear and I said, okay. So we talked it through and in the end, he chose Adidas. What's my point? As a dad, I don't really care what shoes my kids wear. But when it became important to him, it became important to me. I don't believe many of the decisions in life God is that interested in until we're interested in them. And because they're important to us, they're important to him. You know, the world is a big place. Go into all the world. Sometimes I just don't know if I should be doing this. I need to fill all the world. It's a pretty broad, open space. In Deuteronomy, it says, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the country. You're blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In other words, you're blessed. God's not actually that interested in geography. He's interested in you. And you're blessed, whether you're in the city or the country. I just need to know, Lord. Do you want me in the city or the country? I don't know. Choose, and I'll bless you. Oh, it can't be as easy as that. Is that really the kind of God that you are? Yes. I'm an amazing father that gives you choice, and I love you, and I just want you to know I'm blessing you whatever you do, and I'm not going to control you. Amen? Amen? Control is not good. Everyone say control is not good. Nowhere in the Bible does God... Give, ma- give man the opportunity to rule over man until there was a curse because of the fall. And by the way, the curse was broken at Calvary. <laughs> the wrath of God was satisfied when the cross went into Golgotha, which was the place of the skull. The enemy's head got crushed. Amen? Amen. Everybody doing okay? All right, shall I hurry up? Are you looking at your time wondering how he's going to get through all these points? Okay. <laughs> All right. You. Everyone say you. You You is for unity, but not uniformity. Okay, ready? Unity is the celebration of diversity. Unity is the celebration of diversity. Unity is not uniformity. If everybody is thinking alike, then no one is thinking at all. It's really important in God's house as we're creating a kingdom culture that what we are not trying to do is to get everybody to conform to the way that we think. That would be boring. We are all, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is not one of us in this room that has the same fingerprint or the same number of hairs on their heads. Some have a lot less than others. And that's God's doing. We're all different. But it's really important that we realize that God has made us originals. And that's the way he made us. Don't don't die a copy. Be a voice, not an echo. In this house, we don't copy other people. Like This is who God has called us to be. To be a radical, relevant church. To be deep. We have a deep end. Sometimes it's too deep for people. But we've also got to be relevant. Our vision is to build. We're building something that will last for generations. Society grows when men plant trees. We know we will never sit in the shade of. We're building something for our children's children's children if the Lord tarries. We live as if he'll come back tonight, but build for, as if he'll come back for our children's children. Yes. Amen? It's important that we, that we build with a long-term view in mind. Yes. All right. Okay. So unity, not uniformity. Um, I've talked about headship before. The first mention of headship was from the river Euphrates, where the, in the Garden of Eden, and the, 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 the river Euphrates formed four headwaters, 
first word mentioned of headship. Headship is a place of empowering. It's not, again, a place of controlling. And to have this unity, which is the celebration of diversity, we have to empower people to become who God has called them to be, not who we want them to be. That's why our vision is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart and fulfill their dreams and change the world. Our dream here is that you fulfill your dreams, that you find an outlet to express who God has made you to be, not just fall into uniformity. Amen? Uniformity is not good. Everybody just thinking alike and doing everything exactly the same. All right, I'm going to move on quickly. L, everyone say L, is for love and not for law. Say that with me, love Love. and not law. 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 (laughs) You know, when I go back to England, they say, you've got an American accent. I'm like, no. I come back here and say, I can't win. My children definitely do, though. They change all their T's to D's. That's as simple as that. You just change your T's to D's. So you say water instead of water. Padurwatami. Padurwatami. Instead of potawatami. Okay. Just. All right. Um, the rich young ruler we talked about, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Um, the, the other powerful scripture, you can look up and read the story of the woman who was caught in, in adultery, and Jesus told her to go in peace. And he said this he, to the disciples. He said, he who's been forgiven much loves much. There's a great key here. This, this, I would say this, this revelation changed the way I thought. You know if someone has, if you have done wrong, and you repent, then you get forgiven. Right? If you've been forgiven much, then you love much. So watch this. The, the fruit of somebody who's repented, which just means to change your mind, the fruit of repentance is much love. If you want to know if somebody is walking in life, And walking with God, the fruit of their life will be much love. What's love look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't rude. It keeps no record of when it's been wronged. Go through 1 Corinthians 13 and read those things and say, does my life line up with that? Because if you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. You probably all know people, you think... There was obviously, I never knew that this suddenly came up in their life. Why, why, did, why didn't we know? This person fell into this. This person did this. This minister's world TV evangelist did this. I never even knew this was going on. Watch this. He's been forgiven much, loves much. We have to be, you have to repent in order to be forgiven. Once you're forgiven much, then you, the fruit of which is much love. Does that make sense? So let's, first of all, if you, if you need to get stuff right, get it right, and the fruit of your life will be love. Yeah. But if someone's just, they can't, they've got no patience, they've got no kindness, they cannot get over the fact that you did wrong. And there's just, there's, there's, there's a record of wrong. It keeps no record. It's not rude. Yeah. Amen? Should I move on? Okay. So, really important. Love covers, but it doesn't cover up okay um, and it's but it's not law 
Grace is like a bungee cord that when we let go of the thing that we're reaching for, it will snap us back into the presence of God. Grace is like a bungee cord. You know, when we are living under law and not under grace, I don't have to pa- time to unpack this, but, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New is the Old revealed. We are living not under law, but under His grace. And when we put law again, all that we, when, we, when we take away, when we live under the law, we take away grace. We don't want to live under law Church, you don't want to live under law. You know, so often we want mercy for ourselves and judgment for everybody else. I wish I had time to unpack any one of these thoughts, but that's really bad. Don't wish judgment on other people. Law on other people. Because as we judge others, we ourselves will be judged. Jesus said. With the same measure that you use... It will be used unto you. It's, very, it's a wonderful thing to learn the rhythms of his grace. And to learn to extend grace. You know, we, talked, we heard about generosity today. God is a generous God. He has a much bigger shovel than we do. Yeah. We, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that goes, that's just not for finances. That's for your whole life. Give your life. Church, I encourage you in this whole culture of the king and creating kingdom culture wherever we go, that that is why we're here. And one day we will stand before the king of kings and the Lord of lords and give, we'll give an account for what we have done with our life. You know, life will make you bitter or life will make you better. The past is a, is a great teacher, but it's a terrible master. Don't live in the past. Live in the future. The path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter and brighter till the the full light of day. Learn to laugh. Laugh at your enemies. Laughter works like medicine, the Bible says. You know, I I heard this report recently that we can reduce heart attacks by 40% if we will learn to laugh more. That's a secular assessment. Some of us need to get out more. Just have a laugh. The, the stresses of life. Just enjoy life. Jesus came that we may enjoy life and live it to the full. And you know what? The more you are generous, the more God will give back to you. It's just wonderful. Okay. All right. Where were we at? T. Thank you. All right. I'm going to go fast now. 15 minutes. Here we go. Truth. Is it 12:15? We finish. But it is now. Okay, truth. Truth and not a twist. Say that with me. Truth and not a twist. Truth and not a twist. All scripture is God inspired. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is God breathed. This word of God is his voice in print. Can I encourage you to get in the word? If you get in the word, the word will get into you. It will become rhema to you. It will become alive inside of you. And you'll start to think God's word. And that's a good thing. The word word know in the Greek is genosko, which means to actually come a part of you. So to know the truth is for the truth to actually become an inherent part of the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. 
And when we do that, wherever we go and whatever we do, we start creating a kingdom culture. The culture of the king. Because this is his voice in print. Amen? I heard a, a famous person on Oprah Winfrey who uh, has uh, written many Christian books said, the church will continue to be more and more irrelevant if it continues to quote books, letters from books that were written 2,000 years ago. It takes a lot to make me mad, but that made me mad. <laughs> Listen, if we, if, we just, if we just take this Bible and we just think and we just try and just make it relevant, all we will be left with is the maps. This is the Word of God. Amen. Truth, truth. Everyone say truth. And I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I said this years ago to the life group leaders here in this church that you and I are not obligated to, to be, receive or believe anything that's not in the Word of God. I'll say that again. You and I are not obligated. Everyone say obligated. To believe or receive anything that's not in the Word of God. It's really, it will, if you can put that, write that down somewhere, it will safeguard you from the, uh, the Bible calls winds of doctrine that just blow in and out, trends and fads. And I, I believe we're, we're a people of the Spirit here. We love the move of the Spirit. We love signs and wonders and miracles. But some stuff that is being taught is just extra biblical. Watch this. It doesn't mean it's wrong, and it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just cannot build my life on somebody else's experience. I'm going to build it on the Word of God. So if somebody had a conversation with some angel or they had an encounter with Paul and he went, they went to the third heaven and they went to heaven and God told them this and they talked to Abraham and they came back down and said, this is, by the way, this is, I talked to Abraham. He explained to me that he actually wrote this book and Paul's, that's awesome. I'm not here to refute that that didn't happen or not. I am just not obligated to build my life on your experience. I'm going to build my life on the word of God. Amen. Really important that we live in the truth and that we create a culture of truth, not a twist. Everyone say twist. Um, this is, I'm going to go a little bit deep for a moment, so just stay with me. I'm going to dip down. And it's a little bit deep and it might freak some of you out. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. There is, we are, there is a war going on in the spirit. When you were born, you were born into a spiritual battle. But by the grace of God, you were also born into a purpose, the purpose of God that was already in motion. And when you gave your life to him, he put you into this plan and this purpose for your life. Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 2.10 says, Before the foundation of the world, we were predestined to do good works, the works he prepared in advance for us to do. So it's awesome that we, we get to live with breath of God because we're born again. And we get to live in the plan that God had for us. Amen? All right. But there is an enemy who wants to twist. There's a spiritual battle. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel explains and talks about the wheels within wheels. And he says, and the Spirit of God was in the wheels. And he saw living creatures. And he saw four faces of God. He saw the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of man, and the face of an eagle. There were four faces of God. Okay? Just stay with me for a bit. I'm going to go dip down. There is always a counterfeit. The enemy will try and counterfeit what God does and what God looks like. He is a counterfeiter. He's a fake. So we need to be careful. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but often we are, we, are, we are dealing with and waging war and wrestling with principalities of darkness. That's why Paul says the whole Ephesians chapter 6 is about putting on the whole armor of God. 
I would just encourage you, don't take it off, and then you won't have to keep putting it on. But anyway. <laughs> but, but church, it's really important that there are, you know, the Bible talks about the, the Jezebel spirit, that lying spirit. That Elisha is calling down the fire on the prophets of Baal, and the next day he's running because a woman said, by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. What? And he starts legging it. What happened to your what? He believed a lie. There's a spirit at work in this age of lies. You know, talk to our children this week. Don't, you were believing a lie. Don't believe a lie. Don't believe a lie. If you believe a lie, you empower the liar. Don't believe lies. Some of us can. And that's why laughter is really good. It's also, also important that wor- it's to worship. That's really good. I know I'm saying a lot, church. But just, it, just you can go back and unpack it and look at it and look at these scriptures. But, but we, need to, we need to know the power of the enemy. Another one of the, the scriptures is in the scriptures, the Bible talks of the spirit of Leviathan. And the spirit of Leviathan is the twisting serpent. You ever been in a situation where the, the conversation is getting so twisted up, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? Something's getting twisted. Watch this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, not the person. There's often a spirit at work. Why am I talking about this? Because we're here to change culture. That's why we need to know who we are. And we need to recognize that we are going into a world that is in turmoil. There's evil happening. You saw what happened in Manchester this last week. It's evil. But we are wrestling against the principalities of darkness. We've got to know that. The other is the spirit. These are actually there in the Bible. The spirit of Python. You know, a python squeezes the life. You know, it's possible to have a spirit that's just sucking the life out of a room, out of a house, out of a marriage, out of children, out of a meeting, out of a church. But we have, watch this, there's no need to be scared. Jesus says, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy. We have authority over all the power of the enemy. Isn't that great? You and I have more power in our little finger than all the power of hell. So it's, I'm not saying this to scare us, say, hey, but hey, step up. Realize that we're in a war here and you've got to fight. Sometimes husbands, wives, stand up with your kids. Get out. No fear here. No fear in my house. Get out. You're going to have bad dreams. You're not going to have this constant sickness. Sometimes you realize this, this is an enemy. Another pastor recently was just like, man, I'm just constantly, we just recognize this is demonic. This isn't just a cold. This is a cold that won't go away. And then this and this. And sometimes you need to get together and just pray and wage war. It's like, come on. Yeah. Fee and I went to somebody's house in the church this week. We said, hey, we're just here to pray. You know, that big C word, cancer. It's like, we're coming. We're coming. Cancer, we're coming for you. We're going to take you down. Come on, church. This is, we, we've got to do this. All right, I've got to quickly move on. All right, truth, not a twist. There's the, the fourth one was the Absalom spirit. Do you remember David and Absalom? Absalom was trying to pull the kingdom away from David. It's that spirit that just pulls away. Okay. All right. Ready? I'm going to move on. You. Everyone say you. I've got to move on because otherwise we're going to be stuck with cult. <laughs> and if you're a visitor, you'll be like, I don't know. It was a really weird message. I've, here's the notes. Cult. Like, okay. So we've got to at least get to you. All right. No, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Okay. Live unoffended or you'll be unhappy. Live unoffended or you'll be unhappy. Live unoffended. Don't, you know, this is, they, they took offense at Jesus. You can choose to take offense or you say, I will not take offense. Mic drop. Boom. No, I'm not taking offense. I cannot afford to take offense. 
You know, it will ruin your life. That's, that's the enemy's playground. Don't touch it. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, I've got on my office wall, it says, gossip dies when it hits a wise person's ears. No, 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 no. We're not having any of that. That's the enemy's playground. You know, one of the world's words for the devil is Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. And what flies do, the reason we all hate flies, is they carry filth. They carry excrement. And what they do is they drop it on open sores. So if you have a fence, you have an open sore. And what the enemy does, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, he loves to drop it in there to cause contamination, to cause toxins, to cause disease. That's what he does. So if you have no offense, I know I refuse to be offended. I totally forgive you. And the person may be dead. The person may not be contactable. The person may not want to speak to you. You can still forgive them. There's nothing in my heart towards you. Send them a letter. Send them a card. Send them some money. Send them some flowers. Make sure that you've done everything in your heart. You're free. You're blessed. Amen? Live unoffended. If not, you'll be driven. It, and then, otherwise, you'll live unhappy. Here's what I mean by this. In Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 3, uh, God shows up to Cain and Abel. Do you remember this? And he says to Cain, Cain, why is your face downcast? Why are you unhappy? He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you're, da- un- you, if you're unoffended, if you're offended, the results, you will be unhappy. It's that same thing. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. Can I just say this really simple? If you're, uh, if you're offended with someone, put it right today. You know what will happen? You'll start to be happy. You will. You'll be happy. You'll be so much happier. Like, what was all that about? In fact, you'll start getting mad at the enemy for robbing you of all that time. For robbing you of that wasted time. Because he's a thief. John 10.10 says he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy. He wants to steal your life. He wants to destroy your life. You know, he actually absolutely hates you. He absolutely hates me. We're made in the image of God. That's why the Bible says, think it not strange when you face the fiery darts of the enemy. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm just under attack. Pfft, of course you are. Changing culture. Other people are like, I just never, I, I never have any attacks. Like, maybe you should start changing culture. Paul says, the only thing I know when I go to the next city is hardship. I'm going to get beaten up and I'm going to go to prison. That's all I know for sure. Think it not strange. Sometimes we, we get so anesthetized by our little bubble. I mean, when stuff bad, bad happens, we're like, oh, no. Yeah, suck it up. Okay. All right. You can tell the greatness of a man by what it takes to offend him. I'm nearly done. You can tell the greatness of someone by what it takes to offend him. I was telling uh, Tim and Karis the story of a, I don't know who this person was, but he was a very... Um, distinguished, very upright, very honorable gentleman. And he was highly esteemed. And he was leaving a building. I think he'd just spoken. And he was walking out the door. And some younger person pushed past him, nearly knocked him over. He was an older gentleman. Pushed through the door. And the door came and slammed him in the face. And the person who was taking him just was gasped. They were mortified. And they said, I'm so, so, I'm so sorry. That was so rude. And the gentleman turned around and with a smile on his face. He said, I can afford it. If you know who you are 
Someone takes a deposit. Someone takes something from you. They dishonor you. And you are centered. It doesn't take anything away from you. You hear what I'm saying? If we live like, like children of the king, it doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't change who I am. And it doesn't change who he thinks of me. Amen? All right. Nearly done. Nearly done. Nearly done. Okay. R is four. I always know I'm getting pushed when people are like, R, R. Okay, I've got three minutes. I've got three minutes. R is for real. Everyone say real, real. and not religious. Be real with yourself. Be real with God. Be real with one another. I think I've said this before, but when God says to Adam, Adam, where are you? He wasn't playing hide and seek. God knew where he was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. I'd encourage you, most mornings, I'll get up and I'll sit with the Lord and I'll say, I'll say to myself, Dan, where are you? I did it this morning, at 4.30 this morning, trying to get the coffee into my system so I can open my eyes. Where are you? Where are you? Are you frustrated? Are you tired? Yes. Are you, where, are you, what's going on? Where are you? See, if you don't know where you are, you will never get to where you're going. If you go to the mall and you're trying to find a store, there'll be a little map and a directory and it will say, you are here. If you don't know where you are, it doesn't matter if where you're trying to get to, you're not going to get there until you know where you are. Okay, so be real with yourself. Be brutally honest with God. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, close the door. Close the door to other voices. Sometimes people, everyone's looking for, everyone's looking for, I get an extra minute for this. I must. I mean, this must be like a few minutes. Anyway, but it's really, what was I saying? You are here. Yeah. Close the door. Close the door. Some, sometimes we need to close the door from every, everyone else's opinion. Some, you know, sometimes you know, I don't want any more prophetic words. I think that's, I know that sounds terrible. I'm like, I need to hear from God. I don't just need to, I just need, I've got to go to a conference. I need a word from God. It's like, well, ask him. Close the door. Okay. All right. Be kind. All right. Uh, religious. Not religious. Mark chapter 7. Jesus uh, says, you have a fine way of honoring me, honoring me. But he says, but you're more interested in holding to the traditions taught by men. You know, look up the scripture. It's powerful. Mark chapter 7. It's really important that we don't become religious, but we stay real. And if we have a real relationship with God, who's our real father, he's God. Okay? I think it was Mike Bickle years ago who said, God will always be your friend, but he'll never be your buddy. I remember being a young kid remembering that. He's God. Can I be really clear? He is God. He's not your buddy. He's God. But he is an amazing father. And he disciplines us. And he's generous and he's kind to us. But he's God. Sometimes I go to meetings I'm like, you know he's God, right? I, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So don't be religious. We need relationship, not religion. Man once said, if we represent God well, the world will want his body too. If we represent, if we represent him well, the world right now I don't think is particularly interested in what the church has to say because we're so, so religious. And finally, E, I forgot about E, uh, is we must empower or it ends. We must empower. Or it ends. We must empower other people or it ends. You know, we're one generation away from extinction. This church is an empowering church. We must empower. We must impart to the next generation. Amen.
hundred years from now, it won't matter what car we drove, what house we lived in, what was in our bank account. What will, di- what will matter is the difference we made in the life of a child. We must pour in and empower, release people. It was so good. You know, I, I hate being gone, but when I am gone, one of the greatest joys is coming back is seeing people in places of leadership and I've never even met them before. It's a joy coming back into this house. Like, it's awesome. Why? People are getting empowered. People are coming into this culture and they're finding the, you know, it's like, I only gone a few weeks. Now they're, that's brilliant. Who's that? That's great. I love it. It's the, it's the DNA of this house. We've got to keep empowering people. Society grows when men plant trees they know they'll never sit in the shade of. Can I ask you to all stand? Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you so much for this house. I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the DNA. I thank you for the vision that you've given us, for the mandate, for the mission that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that we're one tribe amongst many tribes. Even in this city, God, we're one church, and there's so many churches. There's so many expressions and streams. God, I thank you for the mandate that you've given us. I thank you for the sound of this house. And Lord, for each and every one of us here today, I ask that you would provoke us, God. Not just to hear a a message, but that we would be provoked into action. That we would cause us again to lift our heads to you and let you, the King of glory, come in. That we would say, God, we want to be you conscious. We want to be God conscious, not sin conscious, not shame conscious, but live free, live alive in you, and be carriers of your kingdom culture. Lord, that that we would be those that, that go into our places of work and society. Some would go to other countries, and we would be carriers of the king. So when the king comes, he feels at home, because it's the kid's culture that your word lays out. So God, we just thank you for today. I thank you for everybody in this room. I ask that you would just bring its strength, that you would bring encouragement. Lord, that disappointment would would dissolve today, God. And that fresh life and words of hope, seeds of destiny would be replanted. Lord, I ask for even words that have been spoken in the past that they would that they would they, they would spring up, God, and that we would again just be <coughs> so aware of the amazing life that you've given us to live and that we would run it and that we would run it well. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know on uh Mother Teresa's grave, it says, from here to eternity. Uh, And I thought this morning again of just living in the light of eternity. The life we live right now will echo in eternity. It's It's so much bigger than us. And I know, like Nike or Adidas, God cares about the little things because we do. But I want to encourage you that from the little tiny things, like the name of a shoe, to in all of that, Although that's important to God because it's important to us, but it's also really important to keep our eyes on the whole world. That's why our vision statement finishes with, and change the world. It's not just change our city, it's change the world. Amen? We are an apostolic people. We are a people that are sent to change culture. Amen? Have a great week.